0: Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare, and I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the Clinic Gym Hybrid Model, and over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the US. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it's my honor to be joined today by Dr. Jay Greenstein. Jay, how are you? Josh, what's happening? Hey, it's it's such an honor I hear uh I hear about you on the web. You're like the A team of chiropractic. You know, if you can find them uh and you need help, call call Jay. That's kind of the way it works. Uh I, I've heard your name come up in a bunch of conversations because you're running a bunch of clinics out there in um Washington, DC area. Uh I would love to go into kind of some lessons you learned operationally, but first let's back up. Uh how long you've been in practice and where how long you had four clinics or multiple clinics? And um, yeah, we'll start there because we'll build off. Sure.
1: of Yeah, I've been in practice 27 years. It's unbelievable. Time flies and it seems to fly faster as, as we get older. Uh, but yeah, um, it's, been a, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. Uh, at one point, we had up to eight clinics. Uh, before COVID, we had five. We actually shut one down permanently. Uh, I would say due to COVID, but also due to some other issues that just the timing of the universe said, hey, guess what? I think now's the time to maybe get out of this lease, get out of this contract, get out of this region, and, uh, and focus your attention on the four that you have left. And that's
0: actually been a blessing. It's been a huge blessing for us. So right now we have four clinics. Awesome. And describe like, uh, are these just c- kind of community-based uh, chiropractic clinics? Is there a specialty? Do you only go after left-handed uh, female albino softball players, or what's your specialty, bud? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know, I know the riches are in the niches, but we are not that specialized uh, yet, at least. I think, I think really where we are, are, are focused and where I think we excel is in chiropractic rehab. Um, you know, taking patients and really evaluating their function, identifying their functional deficits, and then applying a multimodal approach in order to deliver not just you know, a great symptomatic outcome, but also a great functional long term outcome. And um, I've been blessed to work with some really, really, really bright doctors who have actually led the way in creating uh, rehab for our practices that have been, um, that have been phenomenal, really,
0: really kind of life changing and game changing all at the same time. Yeah. That man, when you have those successes, they are so impactful. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It it is as cheesy as it sounds. It's amazing how powerful your hands are and amazing how powerful simple rehab is, you know? Yep. Uh, So, so operationally, so that our listeners can kind of understand Patient goes into your office. Once they pass the front desk, is all their time with a chiropractor? Do you have rehab techs? Do you have athletic trainers? Do you have a mix of people? Give us a little kind of background on that operation.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, when patients see us, obviously, you know, they'll get the consult and the exam with the doctor, uh, and and they'll get treated. They'll get all the manual therapy uh, from the doctor, the adjustments from the doctor. But um, there's a fair amount of work that uh, we have a. Uh, or the way that our practices are built is like we've got basically like a gym in the middle of the practice so in the periphery there's rooms but in the central area which occupies the vast majority of the space is an area for rehab and we've got two locations where we actually do sports performance training and personal training group training all that um, but yeah they'll spend um uh, you know so, you know good amount of time with the doctor with the hands-on stuff but a, a lot of time is spent we used to call them rehab specialists Um, I'll tell you in a a minute why we don't call them that anymore, but now, now it's just CAs. We call them CAs pretty much like every other chiropractic or many other chiropractic offices. Um, it was interesting during the time of COVID where we needed people to do a variety of different things. Um, sometimes with some of our people, they push back a little bit because they're like, Hey, I'm only a rehab specialist. I don't want to do any admin work. I'm like, yo, we're in a pandemic, bro. Like, everybody just pitches in and does whatever they need to do to help us and help our patients, most importantly. So it became pretty apparent that actually giving them the name of the rehab tech or the rehab specialist, as we call them, tended to pigeonhole, like, what they were willing to do. And um, those people are no longer with us, and neither is the name. So we offboarded those people. We now have a chiropractic assistant, and they do a wide variety of things to support our practice, but most importantly, our patients.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was a... Very c- ceremonious. Uh, congratulations! Your <laughs> abilities have now expanded, and yeah. let me show and, you how to you know, use you know, this uh, this rehab broom over here to start your new uh, your your new requirements. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I'll tell you what. Like the people that we, you know, in in
1: I I truly believe, and this has been my experience that you know the pandemic was was, a, was a, is a huge challenge, but also presents an enormous opportunity. Yeah. And sure. as we as we. As we entered into this challenging time, you know, I said to my team, like, we're going to lead out of this. You know, like, we're we're not going to feel sorry for ourselves. We're going to find every opportunity we can to excel in every way that we can. And as long as we're doing the right things for the right reasons, for the right people, everything will be fine. And and what was interesting is, you know, there was a lot of fat in my company and we trimmed the fat. There was a clinic that had the lowest profit margins. We trimmed that clinic. Uh, There were people that really did not really belong on the team uh, and we trimmed that too. And now, honestly, coming out of this, Josh, we're doing better than we've ever done. And, you know, awesome. our profits are, are higher than they've ever been. Our volume, our uh, um, results against goal are better than they've ever been. And so I kind of look at this as a blessing. And as long as you've got the right mindset, you know, great things can happen.
0: Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. And that's actually why I want to interview you today was... uh sometimes, well, so I, I opened my practice in 2007 in Las Vegas, Nevada. And if you looked at the uh, at, at the growth that was happening, it was essentially about the same trajectory as when the space shuttle took off, you know, uh, up until 2009, at which point that space shuttle was headed straight back to the ground and was going to crash and our economy crashed. But to your yeah. point, the companies that had relied on this constant growth as their quote unquote marketing model or fulfillment model Uh, I had a friend that owned a landscape business and he said, our sales team was supposed to be selling all day. And really what that meant was the phone will ring, pick it up and just let them know if we can take that job, not can we get the job. And, you know, afterward, he had to go through a very large learning cycle. And I think the same thing, I'm seeing some similarities right now. The pandemic is great to show you where the holes in your system are. And unfortunately, some sense. of those holes are painful and they have sharp edges and you realize like, like it sounds like you did. Hey, uh, you know, Janice over there is not a great employee and this office is not a great investment of your time. And there's all these things. But two years from now, you're going to be so thankful you did those things because it allows you to get to that next level. And success, as they say, success is a horrible teacher, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, failure is actually the best teacher, I think. Yeah. Uh, so (laughs) it sounds like you, uh, and, and I have too have had plenty of learning lessons if, if failure is the best teacher. So I want to kind of dive into some things because some people listening might be like thinking, I can't, what, when I had to shut down and now I'm open and there's just no profit margin and they might be thinking there's no way to operate a clinic profitably. And that, that saying, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of people say that or I'm getting out of chiropractic, there's no money in it. And it breaks my heart because I think those are also typically the better providers. The really crappy, high-volume um, providers that maybe don't provide the most healthcare oftentimes don't feel that cash flow pinch. And so, yeah. that means that two years from now, three years from now, the world will be looking at those high-volume folks thinking that's, that's what chiropractic is. And I want to promote a different model. Long way that. of saying, you're one of the only guys I've really heard about making your operation As efficient as possible through the use of technology, through the use of apps, through the use of communication methods. And I'd love to dive into that if you don't mind. So we can help those clinicians that might have just had their profit margin totally shaved off to think about maybe you can do with one person what you used to do with three.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, for me, it started with my accountant and his name is Scott Melcher. And and Scott was like, Hey, listen, brother. He said this to me a long time ago. He's like, I can see the future and the future means declining reimbursement from third party payers. And the only way that, cause he was also, uh, he was my, he was kind of like my side gig, right? He was a CFO for a radiology company, but he had been an accountant at an accounting firm before that. And so he just, you know, he kept me because I don't know, I guess I entertained him, you know, every now and then, but he's like, listen, you you have to understand the importance of what technology is going to mean for you in the future. And I and I and I listen. You know what I try and do is try and hire the best people, try and hire the best advisors, and listen to them. Um, and he gave me great advice. And so from that point forward, my perspective was always how can I leverage technology in, to improve quality, and to improve efficiency, and to improve profitability, and 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 maybe to a degree, um, you know. I'm I'm always searching for new things and trying to learn as much as I can about new technology. I drive my team crazy a bit, but at the end of the day, I think it served us really, really well. And, and specifically related to the pandemic we had telehealth implemented two years ago. It was already done. And so when the, when the pandemic hit, we weren't scrambling around trying to figure out what to do. It's like, click, turn on a switch, uh, you know, hit your mouse button. And we we were literally, literally ready to roll. And so, um, so while I drive my team crazy a bit with new ideas
0: and new technologies, um,
1: you know, I think overall it, it definitely pays off.
0: That's awesome. When when did your accountant have that conversation with you? Like, hey, this is the future, oh, brother. God. I can see it.
1: It must be like 12 years ago. It was a long time ago.
0: Really? That that's yeah. that <laughs> fantastic. So, so going back, so 12 years ago, he says, Hey, you're gonna see declining reimbursements and uh, you know, I guess a test would be if he'd say, I'm seeing increasing reimbursements, I'd be like, all right, you're fired. You're, you're out of your mind. Right. (laughs) They've never increased. But, um, so he says that and, and 12 years ago, so we're talking about 2008, right? So that that's right. Yeah. So, and Go ahead. The funny thing, really, really quick,
1: Josh. The funny thing is, um, in two thousand and nine, our local Blue Cross Blue Shield actually cut our reimbursement, and they, that was the second time they they cut our reimbursement since two thousand and three. And I was insurance chairman at the time for the Maryland Chiropractic Association, and I was like, um, "We need, you know, we need to do something about this. Like, we've got, we like, we have no leverage at all." So it was just funny that a year earlier, Scott had said, "Hey, like, you better, you better be ready because reimbursements are, are going to get cut," and he was yeah. right. And it got confirmed in, in the worst possible way, right? Oh, yeah. We, we, if you include the, the, um, the, the, the overall um, consumer price index going up, plus the decrease in reimbursement, it was like a 36% hit to our practice. Wow. Yeah, Which is,
0: that just wiped out profit from those patients, right? I mean, like 36% profit would oh. be awesome if you could maintain yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, like at that point,
1: um you know our margins weren't
0: 36% so we had to figure out ways to cut costs and drive additional streams of revenue and things of that nature yeah so from a technology standpoint operationally making things efficient there you were you see uh, your your accountant says hey man start watching out for this so i can see the future then you get hit with it in your pocketbook i mean your accountant didn't need to tell you anything you just felt it right what was the oh, first yeah? big big technological change you made to say like hey we're going to make this this operation more efficient
1: you know I think um, there were really a couple of things one was we had uh, separate um, like a separate electronic health records from the practice management system and so I was like we've got to be more efficient this is like we we had I don't know how many tasks we had to do to get our bills out and get the notes out. It was just a nightmare. These two things were not integrated. So the first thing that we did was we, we found a system. Some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may not have, uh, but Future Health, uh, Future Health Software, Steve Krauss and uh, those guys had a really good product at the time. It's called Virtual Office Suite. It was a server-based system. Um, which, you know, now I would not advocate for. But at the time, it was like really, really, it was a pretty powerful system. So we consolidated, the first that we did is we, we consolidated our EHR and our practice management. And that made a huge difference. We we're able to become much more efficient. Um, and that obviously saves money because we could decrease the amount of staff that we had dealing with billing and collection. Um, and we also improved the quality of our note-taking as well. Um, the second thing that we did is we, we really worked hard to operationalize things like Microsoft Outlook. Um, you know, the, the office suite using, using technology at the time, like Excel spreadsheets to, to manage tons of data so that we understand where we are in our business. I mean, one thing that anybody who's ever worked for our company, you know, in the last 10 years, the last 12 years will tell you is that we are incredibly data driven. Like we don't make decisions without having data. And so, um, so being able to use systems like Microsoft Outlook at the time uh, to manage our meetings, to manage our email, to manage our tasks, using Excel to manage all of our data, and we still actually use Excel a little bit today, um, although that's going to be changing hopefully really really soon. Uh, we're looking forward to to hopefully switching over to Blue IQ as soon as they integrate with Genesis, um, and that, I know that process is happening. But um, having that data um, really helped us make much better decisions moving forward. And I just want to. Say really quickly, you know, one of the best business books that I ever read, Josh, was a book called Exponential Organizations by Selim Ismail, and you know he talks about companies that grow exponentially. He talks about the Googles and the WhatsApps and the and the Waze's of the world, and there are specific criteria that create an exponential organization. But but overall, there are two main criteria. One is you have to have a massive transformative purpose, which I think all of us in chiropractic have. And the second thing is you've got to be information-enabled. Exponential organizations are information-enabled. And so for us, data, the aggregation of data, the efficient management of data, the efficient use of data has been like a a stalwart for us, like a a major kind of pillar for our practice to be able to to get through tough times and and at times really, really excel.
0: Let me ask you this question because I think one of the... um, one of the best things is, you know, like uh, I remember hearing that Google has this rule you you ignore the hippos in any meeting. The hippos are the highest important paid person's opinion. So whoever the <laughs> highest ranking person is in the room, ignore their opinion. They're just disconnected, right? And
1: yeah, what you're probably. saying
0: is you went after you you essentially went after efficiently joining your EHR and practice management. So that's the provider side of the equation, right? But if we were to look at a pie chart of all the energy burned, all the hours paid between you and every member of your staff, the EHR and and getting that going affected you and some of the other providers. But the Excel piece kind of like wrapped or, or made the efficiency higher for all the other people, right? Like, and so if you I look at that pie chart, is- what what I think people ignore the operational side of what you're saying about Excel because they're like, oh, no, the EHR is the big piece. And really, it is a piece, but I don't know if it's the biggest piece of the energy system.
1: The EHR, the EHR specifically, just the records, the documentation piece was correct. It was not the biggest piece. It was more efficient uh, than having two separate systems. But because we combine the practice management side of things, which is the billing, the collections, but also the reporting. It's the reporting that comes out of that part of the system that drives the, the data in the Excel spreadsheets that then drives the decisions. And while the time that was used to do that was not, it didn't take very long, the impact was 10x, 12x, 15x. Yeah. And the impact was significant.
0: Does that answer the question? Yeah, and then when you looked at, when you started really getting after the data in Excel, right? So. Everybody has access to Excel or something like it. It's just not yeah. fun and sexy to put stuff in there and, and harvest it back out. And it takes a while to set up and, and know what you're even looking at. I mean, I've done some data, um, you know, some data mining, and it's, sometimes you don't even know the question that you have to ask at first, and there's no way you know it until you start collecting. I mean, just everybody listening, just start collecting stuff long before you think you know what to do with it. Um, yeah, I understand. But, but all the time and hours you put into Excel, uh, what kind of return did you get on that?
1: Uh, well, it's, there's returns still coming. I mean, we um, we first to your point, we just kind of collected lagging metric data, like this is our performance, these are our trends. What do we need to do? But as we started digging deeper, and as we applied principles like Six Sigma, and I, we could talk forever about Six Sigma, I won't bore the you know bore the audience with that. But but basically, it's a quality assurance methodology where. You control key variables in a process to get the desired result. So we know we're getting a result. Y is a function of X. Um, We're getting Y. What are the X variables that we need to control in order to drive that ultimate result? And that's where where we started to get a lot smarter. That's where we started to collect, and I'll give a perfect example. So if we want to predict how many future visits we're going to have next week, and by the way, I can predict it pretty accurately. All I need to know is the number of current visits that I have this week and the number of patients that have no future appointments this week as well. So if I start this week having 100 visits next week and 50 no futures this week, I know I'm going to have 300, am I saying this right? I'm going to have, yeah, 300 visits. I'm going to have the 100 existing that visits that already are on the schedule and for every single um, I'm sorry, I'm going to have 200 visits. I'm not doing that right. Um, for every single no future, I'm going to have two additional visits. So two times 50 is 100. I'm going to end up at the beginning of next week with 200 visits on my schedule. I can predict that week after week after week. So we started collecting data on how many patients in the current week don't have future appointments. We started sending out reports to all the doctors so, and, this, and the teams. So there's visibility. Oh, I have 30 no futures on my schedule this week. I got to get these people scheduled. And all of a sudden, we're seeing our future visits rise. Well, guess what? When future visits rise, so do kept visits. And, and so that's what we were learning through this process of, of aggregating data. And again, I just to your point, like just start collecting data. And then once you do that, you're going to start to see trends. Once you see trends, you'll be able to figure
0: out what levers you need to pull to make improvement. Yeah, you ever heard that? Uh, there's a, a data, I heard a data scientist talk. He said, you know, we can predict when you buy the most potato chips in your life, when women buy the most potato chips in their life, and he said, very simply, the average age uh, women have kids is 28. And when kids are at 14, you buy the most potato chips because the girls aren't yet self-conscious about their bodies. And the, and that's the age where you want to have a little bag of snack to throw to a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's so at 42, women buy more potato chips than any other time in their life. If you just look, cross-reference those two factors. And he said, you know, when you're talking to Frito-Lay, that that they want to know that, you know. So their target market's yeah. 40 to uh, by the time they go to 42 43 their kids are starting to say maybe I don't want to eat chips maybe I'll have some veggies or something like that but anyways right uh, right so you're you're giving that future information so that was 12 10 12 years ago what were you guys focusing on say 6 years ago so halfway between when your accountant made this proclamation and so we're talking 2014 2015 you you had some good wow. data capture right you you guys were in the uh it wasn't strange to analyze that and and drive behavior off that in your office as crazy as uh, they thought you were right yeah exactly and then what were some of the other iterations or improvements you needed to make based on what you're seeing
1: yeah one of the probably one of the biggest steps that we took it might have been a little longer than 6 years ago but not not by much was we implemented salesforce so you know we have we have these physicians you know medical doctors and and other referral sources that are sending us patients and we needed a way to Store that inf- information, evaluate that information, make decisions around that information about how, you know, what kind of touch points we needed with our referral sources. And so we implemented Salesforce, and, and quite honestly, for I think it was, you know, five, for five licenses that we have, you know, it's, it's like a few thousand dollars a quarter. It's not a huge investment, but, but that, that software platform is a behemoth. I mean, there, you could do so many things with it, um, and so it is our customer relationship management software. And we've been able—we have—we now have dashboards. You know, with a click of a button, we can look at you know exactly where our referral sources are sent, or you know how many people are coming from Dr. Smith, Dr. Jones, Attorney Bill. Um, you know, a healthcare that you know we might do, or our our, our di- all of our digital strategies. You know, we know exactly where our patients are coming from, and and then being able to assign. Of value to those patients like we know the approximate dollar amount for every new patient as, as far as billings and revenue is concerned and and we even have evaluated by sector by sector of new patient and so we're able to identify really our return on investment based on the type of marketing and, and sales strategies that we have in the practices and and I think Salesforce is probably you know six or eight years ago is probably one of the biggest Um, Infrastructure technologies that we implemented that's had an enormous impact on our practice.
0: Hey, I want to tell you all about Membrant. Membrant, with a D in there like Rembrandt, Membrant is an app platform. Now, this company is the one who built the Clinic Gym Hybrid app. And if you uh, purchase our accelerator program, you will get firsthand knowledge of what they do. But I think this is the next evolution in clinics who want to really give their patients better care, better service, while making it more convenient. So what Membran can do is help you design a custom app for your company. This isn't just like rebranding somebody else's. This is your app that lives on the app store and your patients can download. Now, what's the power of an app? Well, let's just say, for example, that you have a certain protocol that you want your low back pain patients to go for. So let's say you include the McGill Big Three, a little talk about repetitive motions and finding your kind of McKenzie protocol of reducing your, your pain through those repetitive asymptomatic movements. Well, you could tag the patients, meaning that you kind of put them on a list that says you want them to have access to the low back protocols, right? And then you could have another program of videos articles, exercise descriptions, all that, that only go out to your patients with shoulder pain, right? Or ones that go out to patients with plantar fasciitis. If you can build that program, then what Membrant can help you do is make sure that only the patients that really need the plantar fasciitis exercises get that delivered to their phone. That thing that they're staring at, some estimates say as many as 500 times a day. All right. So check out Membrant.com, Membrant.com, Or send me an email, I can hook you up with those guys and they can put together a fantastic program. I think it's really the future and it's one more way that technology will help you make more money while providing better care and a better business model. So check out Membrant.com. So there you are, you're capturing data, you've integrated the EHR and the practice management software. Then you kind of move into this next phase where you say, we're looking at data. What drove you? And let me just back up. Uh, what Jay's talking about, Salesforce is what's called a CRM. You said it, customer relationship management software. So CRMs can span. Salesforce is probably the, that's the uh, ultra Gucci, highest level one that's out there. I use Infusionsoft in my consulting business. Um, we've actually developed a lightweight one for clinicians called Clinic Gym Connect. Uh, some people think cool. uh, Mail MailChimp is a version of this, right? So there, it spans a, yeah, you're shaking your head because as soon as you use MailChimp, Kinda. you realize the, the limitations <laughs> of it. Yeah. But yeah. They and we use Nelchim too. Right. But uh, what I'm trying to say is when did you guys get to the decision that, hey, we need to start tracking our relationships here as the next layer of business? Because a lot of people just, oh, yeah, I, th- I think Jay sends me a lot of patients. You know, I, I stop by his office every couple, maybe six months and drop off sandwiches or whatever. I think that attorney, I think they've sent us some people like, but they're not sure about those things. And they don't certainly have a value because you also realize some of those people, like I remember this, this doctor, Dr. Wong, I, I looked one year and I'm like, holy crap. She sent 31 people. I've never stopped by her office. Wow. And then there was another person I stopped by their office seven or eight times. And this guy named TJ, he was just a really good guy. He and I got along well. He sent three people over the year and I probably been to his office six times. I'm like, okay, I need to reassess what I'm doing here.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where data comes into play, right? Like having that information is priceless. Um, and, and you asked a really good question. So we realized that we, and we, again, we're da- data-driven. So like we were collecting this information, but it was on an Excel spreadsheet. So um, there, there was no dashboard that we could like at a very high level strategically look and see what's going on as far as our referral sources were concerned. So, you know, for the, for the folks that are listening out there, you know, I, please don't get frustrated. or don't think that, you know, you're behind or whatever. Like you can start with Excel. And then once you start to master that data piece, you can start investing in other technologies that will allow you to be more efficient. And that's really, Josh, what happened to us. It was like, okay, we've got a lot of data, got a bunch of practices, got a bunch of referral sources. It's really hard to understand it. So what, what else is out there that we can leverage that will allow us to be more efficient with our time? You know, spend less time and money paying someone and using technology to scale the rate at which we understand data.
0: And, that, and, and Salesforce was a big key for us. Awesome. So Salesforce was, you said, maybe seven years ago-ish? Uh, I don't, I don't seven, remember. Seven,
1: eight years ago, yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah.
0: So you're progressing, you've got that handled, you've got this integrated practice management software and, and um, EHR, uh, and at the same time, it sounds like you're also expanding the number of clinics. So this whole, this whole ecosystem is growing and you have more providers, more support staff, more uh, you know technology issues, more everything issues. Uh, what was the next big step you t- took to to really make your system more efficient?
1: Yeah, that's an easy one. So we switched to Genesis Chiropractic Software. Um, I don't know if you know Brian Capra. He's a really good guy. He's a chiropractor. He partnered uh, with a guy named Erez Liov, who is a data scientist out of Princeton, kind of smart, <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. smart. And um, and they they created a system, cloud-based system. That quite frankly is is remarkable. Now let's face it, like there is no perfect EHR, there is no perfect practice management system. But there's two things that I love about uh, Genesis. Um, the first thing I love about Genesis is they they built in automated workflows. So get this, Josh. What happens is you set up a task checklist inside the system. So if you have a process that needs to get executed by an individual, you just set it up and it's automated inside the system. And when those steps are supposed to happen, a task will fire to that individual who's supposed to complete that task and it either gets completed or it doesn't. And so there's great visibility into your people and how they do their work. They're either completing their tasks or they're not. So instead of people managing other people, we now have automation helping to, and I really don't like the word manage. I just like support. We have we have technology supporting them so they don't have to remember everything. Oh, I have to do this task, I have to do that task. It's right in front of them on their task checklist. Like they know what they need to get done. So um, so, that's, so let the, me that's just,
0: the, I just want to break this down so people hear, yeah. because I, I think that um, I don't want people to get discouraged by, you know, you're you're quite a few steps ahead of a lot of practices, which is awesome. And I congratulations. I don't want them to get discouraged about what you're saying. Uh, and I want to make sure they understand how powerful it is. So a workflow in an office might be, I'm going to try and make a simple one. Um, uh, Josh is working the front desk and then he hand, and so his job is to greet the patient, make sure we have a copy of the insurance file and the driver's license. Then he assigns to Dr. J and J, Dr. J is supposed to take uh, vitals, height, weight, blood pressure, pulse. If you forget to do any one of those, the system says, oh, you didn't actually take her pulse. Uh, And you didn't get respirations or whatever it is, right? And then a handoff might happen to uh, Dr. Uh, Jane. And Jane's job is to do a head-to-toe exam, render diagnosis, and initiate the first adjustment. And then they're handed off to Steve, who's the CA to do rehab. What rehab did you do? How long did it last? How many minutes? And so that workflow, that patient visit can be built out and checked off. And and it'll tell you, hey, uh, Jay forgot to do, you know, pulse and breathing.
1: Yeah, spot on. That's exactly right. So okay. yeah, thank you for breaking that down. That's perfect. And there's a wide variety of processes in our practices. Some of them are known. Some of them are unknown to some <laughs> folks. Uh, but this is where you standardize process. This is where again Six Sigma kind of comes into play, where you control key variables to get the desired result. And those key variables are the steps in a process. Um, so th- so so the 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 task checklist and automated workflow is the one thing. Is one thing that I love about Genesis. The second thing that I love about Genesis is. I can literally now pull any clinical or or business metric out of the system, and I can run reports on it. And when I first joined Genesis in two thousand sixteen, we could only um, pull like financial data. Uh, but now we've worked with them to develop the clinical piece. They've revamped the platform. So now, because our goal is to be able to aggregate clinical data over time and look and see. You know, by diagnosis or by gender or by demographic, what doctor is getting the best outcomes and whatever they're doing, then we can teach our other doctors how to do just that. And so it's about continuous improvement over time. And so the ability to pull the data out of the system and evaluate outcomes is like a monstrous step forward. So we just, it's taken us several years to work with them to help rebuild it. But July of 2020 was when we started on the new, on the new system. And, um, and so a year from now, we'll be able to pull some serious clinical data and eva- start evaluating our patient outcomes with each of, each of our providers by diagnosis and again, demographic or whatever other variable we want to look at.
0: That's, I love everything you're saying here because, you know, if I were to refer my mother to you, I would want to know that she's going to the person who has the best clinical outcomes in the fewest number of visits for anything, right? I mean, you would love to look at a directory of, of providers and say like, who's the best for neck pain? Oh, it, you know, Jay can get you better on average at 6.3 visits, whereas everybody else is above a 14. And it, you yeah. know, if, if we can learn those moves, why are you so much better? It certainly, I have, funny story, I had a patient and his business was back in the day when they were going from like regular fluorescent lights to LEDs, he would go into these offices and go, hey, we'll come in and, you know, after you guys close down at 6 p.m. and we'll swap out all the lights and blah blah. And for a big office building, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars of savings a year, right? And so, he said he had one technician that could do, uh, I'm trying to remember the number, six light fixtures per hour and everybody else could do two to three. And so, he's yeah. like, man, I, I got to figure out how are you doing this many? Because he paid by light fixture to keep motivated and this guy is just he's like, this guy's taking me to the poor house. I'm like, well, not really. I mean, he's getting it done. (laughs) So the one thing he learned is when you're doing this, you have to do a little bit of rewiring and you have to replace some small parts. Well, what the other guys would do is they'd open up the light fixture all the way, do the rewiring. And then most of what the time was taken in was to clean the desk and the area below them. Little, you know, when wire gets cut, the little insulation and wrappers Mm -hmm. and wire nuts and all this. So they'd have to spend all the time cleaning. What this dude realized is if you took the you know, on a, a fluorescent light fixture, it like the big plastic piece swings down. So he took yep, these yep. little pieces of wire and didn't let it swing down all the way. And then all the work he did, it caught all the parts and trash in that thing. So at the end, he just took that, brushed it into his little pocket and moved on to the next one, didn't have to clean. And so it's a simple change. It would required like just behavior and two pieces of wire. And my friend's like, oh, he said it, it was great because now two technicians can do what it would take four or five to do you know, we can get so many done. And unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, all you had to do was just let somebody, you know, somebody in that building has the expertise in your situation with four clinics, somebody has the knowledge, let them yeah. share it, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. You know? So, so you, you add Genesis, you've uh, maintained Salesforce, you have all these integrations. What was the next thing where you're like, we gotta, we gotta move to the future. So yeah. the last two years we're um, looking forward, what's, what are you looking at?
1: Yeah. So we, we did a rebrand in, um, in 2018, our, our, company name for a really long time was sport and spine rehab. And, you know, when I created that name decades ago, you know, literally there was no other sport and spine rehab. And in fact, a lot of chiropractors weren't even doing rehab in their practice. Mm. We're talking, you know, 20 some years ago. Um, over the years, like, you just drive down a main road where there's chiropractic offices and sport or spine or rehab is probably somewhere in the mix. And, and, and even physical therapy, PM&R doctors, it's just a very common name. And, you know, I think we, we, at least we believe that differentiation is a really important competitive advantage. And a lot of that has to do with the image of your brand. And so um, I was getting fed up because a lot of our referral sources were getting confused. They were like, Oh, we're referring to patients. We're like, no, no, you're not. Like there was this brand confusion about who was who. And so uh, I went to my team and I said, you know,
0: to spine and sport rehab and uh, you yeah. know, uh, Bethesda sport and spine and all this stuff. And, <laughs> right. But not to right. you. Sport
1: and, spine, sport and spine rehabilitation. Like, no, but not to us. Right. Yeah. And you know, and some of these people were longstanding referral sources, so they they intended to send to us, they just weren't, or their staff didn't remember, or whatever. Um, so I went to my team and I was like, "We we need to change our name." And in the in the course of that conversation, Josh, it was more, it became more than just about a name change. I was like, "Guys, we need to literally rethink everything that we're doing in our practice, like everything. Like, let's think." Is um, um, Jack Welch said this. In his book, Straight from the Gut, he's like, you know, people at GE. We, in order for us to build the largest company in the world, we had to think boundaryless. You know, and I went to my team. I was like, we have to think boundaryless. Like, let's not just change the name and change the logo. Let's like, we have really an opportunity to like rethink this whole thing. Which, by the way, became part of our tagline: rethink, rebuild, restart. And we worked with several. Di- and and I think this is also a really important note that I want the audience to hear. Um, we we worked for years, uh, trying to figure out exactly what that name and what that rebrand would look like. And, you know, finally in 2018, we got it right. Um, But it took a long time. And and my message to everybody who's listening out there is like, everybody's in different, there are businesses that are way ahead of ours. And I may be a little bit ahead of some other folks, but that's not really the point. The point is, is that persistence and grit, just that sheer determination to keep going and keep trying and just picking your ass up when you fall, will get you to where you want to be. Um, and so I just want to share that because it sounds like, oh, like I just did this. I snapped my fingers and all this shit happened. But that's not the case. It has taken a tremendous amount of time, effort, tears, blood, sweat to get here. So anyway, so, um, so we work with a, a brand new person that we actually really click with. And she came up with the name um, Kaizo. Kaizo Health. Kaizo is the Japanese word for rebuild, reconstruct. In the gaming world, it's also known as a hack and pushing the limits of human potential. So we loved it. We got our new logo. And as we're going through this process, we're looking at some of our data and we're like, you know, there's a huge opportunity in the area of self-discharges. So we measure the percentage of patients that doctor discharge and the percentage of patients that self-discharge. And we we shoot for 10% self-discharge. That means 90% of our patients complete their care plan. And we don't have long care plans. You know, we follow the, the clinical compass, best practice documents and clinical practice guidelines. Our our patient visit average in our practice is around 11, um, and so but but we sell people that require more care that discharge too soon or that require maybe even less care but still discharge too soon, and so um, we first of all we looked at the business impact and it was ridiculous. It's like if a patient who came in for a prescribed visit between visit one and visit 12 came in one more time. Um, we would increase our bottom line number by $400,000. That's not that's not small change. Um, and then, of course, when it comes to overall outcomes, my biggest fear is a patient feels better. They discharge too soon. They're not functionally better. What happens? Their problem returns. And we know from the evidence that the most accurate predictor of any future musculoskeletal injury is past injury. And so what I, what I don't want to happen is a patient feels better, discharges too soon. Their pain comes back and turns around and says, uh, Dr. J, he sucks. Like, I felt better temporarily I know people have heard this before about chiropractic. You know, I feel better a little bit, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't last. Yeah. So we looked at the literature, and there's, there was lots of, lots of evidence, um, you know, several years ago about mobile apps improving medication adherence. So our hypothesis with my research team was, if we built a custom mobile app, could we gamify the patient experience, and could we increase adherence? That was our primary hypothesis. So we, we mocked up a mobile app. Um, luckily, I had someone fall into my lap on my team who, is, um, who went to undergrad for biomedical engineering at University of Virginia. The guy is like a genius. We call him the wizard. His name is John. Um, any of our customers that are listening out there, you know John. He's amazing. And, um, and he built this app for us. And, and then we tested it, right? We looked at the data. And in, in, in a 90-day period, we had uh, 510 patients who downloaded the app. We compared that to four hundred and fifty two patients who did not download the app. And we had a 4.7-visit increase in the app-downloading patients. And that is a 36% increase over our average or over the control group, which was the non-app-downloading
0: patients. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop so, you right there. I, sure. I'm going to pick myself up off the floor. <laughs> I'm going to try and lift my jaw. What you're saying is you basically compared 500 patients who downloaded the app and used it to about 500 patients who didn't. I mean, they're almost the exact same number. So we're not talking about five people. We're talking 500 in each cohort, right? Yep. And then what you're saying is when people downloaded and used this app that at at the time was version one, this dude had just created, right? I mean, this wasn't even like improving everything. Version one you saw just over four additional visits that they'd come in for. That is correct. So in that group alone, you're talking about four times 500 people. So 2,000 visits just by downloading a piece of software. That is correct. Okay. So did you go to the hospital? Because when they, (laughs) I'm going to make a bad joke about, you know, uh, if, if, uh, the sensation lasts longer than four hours, see your doctor for it. Like <laughs> right, right, from right. a business owner perspective, this was had to be the biggest breakthrough that you've ever seen in your practice. Right? I mean, you've, you've talked it about was, improvements, but this is like, this is free money. This is, and it's free money and people getting better. This is like the, uh, Reese's peanut butter cup of, of care, right? Like peanut butter and oh, chocolate right. baby in one. Totally. It was. And I got to tell
1: you, Josh, I had no idea what to expect because, you know, when you do research, you like you literally don't know what the data is going to show. And when um, when we reviewed it, I was I was pretty floored. I was pretty amazed. And at that point in time, the light bulb went off in my head and I was like, and this is going to sound like a shameless plug. And it's not because I'm not here to sell anything. But I was like, God, we need to sell this other chiropractors. We need to help other chiropractors improve their outcomes and improve their income at the same time. Now, full disclosure, right? That was, a, that was a short period of time. That was, that was one data set. And we literally just finished going back and look at all of 2019 and all of 2020 up to this point through COVID. So it was through, I believe, um, I can't remember if it was through July or through August. Um, and, and when we went back and we looked at the data, it wasn't quite as strong. So we actually improved our adherence by 10%. So we know that somewhere in that range, between 10% and 36%, we can have an impact on the practice, both in terms of outcomes and in terms of incomes. Now, as it relates to outcomes, what we haven't done yet is we haven't our our server the the data is de-identified, but we do it's not HIPAA because we didn't want to start collecting. Um, uh, patient data because the HIPAA piece is very expensive. And this was really just a test case, right? But ultimately, we're going to be collecting patient-reported outcomes. We're going to look at perceived improvement. We're going to look at something called net promoter score, which, again, we could probably talk about, but it's, it's a measure of patient loyalty. So to the point of triple aim, right, like can we decrease costs over time by having a better, more cohesive uh, experience where patients complete their care? Can they get a better outcome? And are they more loyal because they had a better outcome? that that's the future kind of data piece that's the data cloud that we that we're ultimately striving to get to. We're not there yet, but that's where that's where we're
0: going to get to. That's the goal. Wow. And and so these folks that you are you currently selling this and other practices using it? We are. We have we have about
1: 30 30 practices right now at this point that are our customers, and they are phenomenal because they're early adopters, right? So they're actually also helping us collect this data. And and what's really interesting, Josh, is we've got this behavioral data on the back end, um, which is kind of remarkable. So not only can we see – oh, one thing I forgot to mention. When we looked at those early 90-day patients, the 510 versus the 453, the number one screen that people were using was the reward screen, So we built in a reward screen, which is the gamification piece, so that when they check in for their appointment, when they hit a certain benchmark, they get an OIG-compliant reward. So we knew that we were changing their behavior in some way, shape, or form. To this day, literally to this day, Josh, the number one screen that all of our App customers and all of our current patients at Kaiser Health that that they use is the reward screen. So we know there's some level of behavior change there. There's definitely a correlation. We can't say causation yet, but there's definitely a statistical correlation.
0: So I would love yeah, to see do, if you uh, just ask some question on the front end, or you know, do you identify yourself as competitive or not? And those that say yes, I wonder what their what their compliance and and the increase of number of visits, because if they are gaming themselves more, what will they be six more visits, you know, versus two? Uh, Oh yeah. Be exciting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. People, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because we're, you know, we're giving away BioFreeze or like a CLX Theraband. It's like nothing because you can't give away anything that's $15 or more. So it's nothing. Remar- we're not giving away a TV or like a, a cruise, but it's interesting. People want to be rewarded for good behavior. And so now we've become students of literally. And some of that is they just want to be process. rewarded
0: with an accolade, right? I mean, just a badge or, or a star popping up or something like that. Like, yeah, if you've ever used um, a sauna but every once in a while this uh, unicorn flies across the screen if you've been good <laughs> about doing your tasks and it's like have yep. a unicorn you know just don't no value yep. in it like, it's just a cool graphic totally and like there's a lot of really
1: interesting data around gamification and and really behavior change and it can be used for you know inappropriate purposes like gambling but it can also be used for really important things that we're trying to do which is improving population health like we we want to improve population health and and so this is, like you said, this is our first version, but we're committed, committed to driving this, um, this particular platform to do things that, you know, have never really been done before. And that's our commitment. That's our, our monetary and temporal investment. And we won't stop until we get there.
0: That's awesome. So, so this started out as just like, let's make sure that our EMR talks to our Practice management software, which now sounds like a crazy idea, that it didn't happen back then, right? I know, right? Yeah, totally. And and back then, I don't know what your profit margin was, but your accountant said, "Hey, your profit is going to is going to go down because we're seeing reduction of payments." And now, when you look at this app, that entire time, that twelve year span, repayments have gone down. At best, they've stayed the same from a a third-party payer, but most likely they've gone down every year or close to that every other year. And so you've been operating in a less resource-rich environment. So you've become more resourceful, right? When there's a lack of resources, you have to become more resourceful. What's your profit margin like now compared just for your practice? So not including like uh, app sales or anything, but now compared to then. So we were at
1: about, Prior to, prior to COVID hitting, we were, depending on the year, we were somewhere in the range of 2 to 6% margin. And that's how thin it was. Um, coming out of it, we're probably, you know, the, the last part of this year, we're going to probably be in the range of 10 to 14%. So, well, dramatically math, different.
0: Three to four times, it's not a perfect equation, but three to five, four times more profitable. And... And essentially, that is making your processes more efficient, learning your clinical, perfecting your clinical abilities and and focusing on the right things clinically, which Mm -hmm. was through data analysis. And then thirdly, software development. So we're talking app development, but that was really gamifying the patient experience once they leave your office.
1: Yeah, I I would say there's one thing that comes before all of that which is the most important piece. You know, the audience really needs to 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 hear this. You know, it, it's, have you ever read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins? Yeah. So in chapter two, right, first two, then what? I would have never. I mean, like, this is not the Jay Greenstein story. It's just not. This is about the Jay Greenstein's team story. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm I am blessed to have, like, remarkable people around me. So in order to be able to do the things that we've done, I would have never been able to do it by myself. I'm not that smart. But having people on the team who are passionate, caring, honest, hardworking, resilient, because we've been through a lot and we've been through a lot, Josh, hasn't always been a picnic. And uh, because we've had years where we've lost a lot of money too. And, um, but having like those types of people on the team is the most important thing. It starts there. And then those other things, you know, those technology decisions that we make, improving efficiency, improving process, all that it kicks in later. But if you don't have the right people first, it's just so much harder to get there.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm laughing because like, uh I, I just picture what it was like when, when you walked in and said, we got to basically redo everything. Like we, you know, we got to, and because I've had a lot of staff members or team members in my life who would have just basically thrown up their hands and I would have got a resignation letter a week later after they applied to so nearby office going, I, I can't take the disruption. And I yeah. can think of one or two that I've hired. Uh, well, right now I probably have three that would go get a little nervous and, and have a little bit of frustration, but then they would also come around to the fact of like, this is going to be exciting. This is awesome. You know, I don't want it to be the same next year as it is. And yeah. that's the only way you'll do it. I mean, if you can understand how to get your people to, to follow that. And, and you're right. If you have the wrong people, that are that are just set in the ways that I don't want to say that. I don't want to demean them. There are great people that are very good about running the process over and over and over and over and over. And those people mm-hmm. are great once you have the process. Yeah. I mean, they're they're yeah. highly valued. You don't want somebody like me that runs the process three times, and gets bored with it, right? <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> that's me too. Yeah. But then the flip side is you want to be able to balance that with like, hey, how can we make this better? Uh you ever, if you go into YouTube, I don't know if you have you ever heard of a guy named Paul Akers. I don't think so, no. So he's huge in the lean methodology. Right? Oh, okay. Heard of lean? So this guy yeah. owns a, a, a company <laughs> that sells stuff to woodworkers, right? And it used to be they get an order and they could get that order out the door within 48 hours on the truck. Now, through all these little tiny improvements, so every day, every employee has to shoot an improvement video about one process in the business. Could wow. be how you assemble packaging, how you pack the truck, how you tape a box, how you clean the bathroom, uh, where you put the salt shaker. So, he, his, one of his guys put metal on the bottom or got metal salt shakers, salt and pepper shakers in the break room and then put magnetic discs on the table, put them back here every time. Then we don't lose them. Right. Which tiny, but crazy good. Yeah. Another guy shot a video about with a QR code, how to fill the mop bucket, not how to mop. I'm just saying how to fill the mop bucket. So it's all these things. Anyways, so they went from 48 hours of order to process packaged and on the truck. Now they have that process down to two hours. Oh my God. The biggest problem is that customers call in, make an order. We have it on the truck. It's already shipping. They call us back and go, you know what? I don't need six bottles. Could you, you know, could you add four more? And it's like, well, well, I sent a second shipment, you know, (laughs) but I can't stop that. Because that's two hours later. Yeah. And so everything is about improvement and he says if you if you're not willing to make that improvement, you're not willing to shoot that video, you're not going to be comfortable here because we all improve yeah. every day, you know. Yeah. So for sure. Pretty And it is about
1: know. it's about a culture fit, right? It's like about making sure that whatever the core values are of the business owner that you that you're able to identify, hire and train the
0: people that are the right fit for those roles and yeah. when you do that magic happens. By the way, that guy also one of the products they sell you put it inside your drawers, like a desk drawer or anything, just so you have one pen, one pencil, like get rid of all the crap. You don't need 80 pens and it's called Kaizen phone. So it's almost wow. Casual. Yeah. I love um, it. I love it. Yeah. So anyways, well, this has been great, Jay. I, I really appreciate it. If folks are interested in your app, so they they want to jump to that next level, how can they find out more information about it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they can go to our website. at www. Dot kaizenovate. It's a different company. It's not Kaizo Health. Kaizenovate. K-A-I-Z-E-N as in Nancy, O-V as in Victor, A-T as in Tom, E.com, Kaisenovate.com. And um, you can just click on the link app development and uh, we can do a demo for you. You can download a demo app just to play around with it. It's a really basic version. But, but the thing about our app is it's fully customized and branded to your practice and so it provides a great opportunity for differentiation uh, but there's also lots of other functions like literally your patients can refer a friend or family member with a couple clicks of their thumb you know the days of handing out home exercise videos and handing out business cards for somebody who wants to refer somebody those days are over everybody's on their mobile device so let's have some fun and let's be efficient and let's grow the practice through technology
0: that's awesome man I'm so excited i I just think if there's anybody when you look at data, I mean, I'll tell you, we had a guy build a dashboard for us just in Google Sheets and, and put some graphs in there. And uh, we had this little uh, medical legal consulting company. <laughs> and the first thing that popped up was, hey, I got good news and bad news. I, I got all your all your uh, cases loaded, all your blah, blah. Bad news is, um, and I'm sure the guy's like, I'm sure this data is correct because I know it's coming out of good sources. You're owed $123,000 and I can't see any evidence of you Making any moves to collect that, I'm like, what? Huh? Say <laughs> again? What? Yeah, and and without having that dashboard and having that data available, you go. Well, I think again, you go into that thing. I think Jay owes me for that one case, and you know what's her name might owe, blah blah. And then you aggregate it, and you're like, one hundred twenty-three thousand dollars is owed. Like we got to get on that now. You know, absolutely, absolutely. So, Information enabled, my friend. Yeah. I love that. Information enabled. So one last thing, Jay, what was that book you uh, recommended? Yep. Exponential Organizations by Salim Ismail. All right. Exponential Organizations. Yep. It's awesome. I, 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 It changed my life. It literally changed my life. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you are striving and getting better every day, sir. And it's an honor to interview you here. I appreciate what it's you're honor doing. To be I here. appreciate the story and what you're doing for chiropractors with your app and, and all this information is... Man, we we might come come out of this and have the the greatest years of chiropractic might be the next five, you know? I hope so, man. I hope Mm. so. I really do. Yeah. Well, on behalf of Dr. Jay Greenstein, this is Dr. Josh Saturday saying go out there, do what Jay did, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks so much, Jay. Thanks for having me, Josh. It's been awesome. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. We've got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients.